Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Daily News. It is Canadian Football Perspective. Thank you for being here with us, as always. Introducing the new generation of electronic whistles brought to you by Fox 40. The new rechargeable Fox 40 electronic whistle produces 120 decibels of software-defined sound power with the push of a button and blow your ears off. Pre-order yours Pre-order yours today. Fox40shop.com. You can use the promo code, of course, CFP15 is how you can get 15% off of your order. Uh, Excited about our interview. We'll get to that coming up in just a second here. Uh, But first, Mike Daly. uh, Little little date night? Little little Top Gun Maverick? You went and saw what is now the most popular movie on the planet. Like, Tom Cruise has never had... I read an article, listened to a podcast the other day about this. He's never had a $100 million movie on debut weekend. It made like $124. 124 million dollars and it's super interesting because he actually held off on releasing this because he wanted it to be on the big screen in the theaters for people to go not during so he like held off held off held off bet on himself bet that at this age that he can still be an action star who's still able to draw people to the movie theater didn't want it on a streaming service didn't want it pushed like directed you know dvd or anything like that and it paid off in like the biggest movie he's ever had and dude is like 50 plus oh yeah <laughs> it's like oh, yeah. what you can what see it? there's a couple scenes where you're like oh yeah okay maybe he's a little too old for this now you know what i mean maybe he thinks he's too much of an action star but that being said i've heard like everybody that has watched it or anything like that has been like yeah 12 out of 10 12 out of 10, 11 out of 10 <laughs> i'm like i'm the type of person when somebody tells me that, i'm like ah, no nah, it's probably not that good i went it's that good man <laughs> like oh, I felt like, like the only warning I was listening to another podcast and they were like, yeah, you just got to make sure that when you leave the movie theater, you follow the speed limit because you're going to yeah. think you're, you're driving like an airplane fighter. And it was awesome. But listen, what I do want to get to mm. is I listened to the Ottawa Toronto game with you oh, and yeah. Dwayne and you guys did a fantastic job. Thanks, man. <laughs> for like just, you know, and I've listened to a bunch of CFL games and stuff like that, but you and Dwayne are killing it. I hope you get a ton more games because it was fun, man. Like the way you guys were talking about it and just kind of your, both of your perspectives, how you bounce it off each other. Like you obviously have something going with Dwayne and it's, it's pretty cool. And like, you know, Derek alludes to it in this too. It's, it's good to get some youth in there too to kind yeah. of shake up how the calls are going, right? No, I appreciate that. And I think it's in, I've never had a chance to work with Glenn Suter. I actually will be on the June 17th Friday night football game, Winnipeg at Ottawa, which will be fun because I don't think I have a lot of uh, Winnipeg games lined up this year. Um, so Winnipeg at Ottawa will be a lot of fun because that's on the back end of the season opener, which is Ottawa at Winnipeg. They play a home and home to start the season. Uh, and then I have Dunnigan on as my color analyst on the th- 30th which is thursday night football which will be fun which is bc so nathan but that's going to be fun because it's dunnigan and i calling a game that nathan rourke is the starting quarterback right so we're just going to be nerding out on canadian (laughs) canadian qb stuff that night for sure but um no i appreciate that i love working with Dwayne. he is i think a lot of people overuse the idea of like oh this person's easy to work with 
there's nobody easier to work with than Dwayne Ford. Hi, Sky. Thanks for being here. Guest appearance again. Yeah, always. <laughs> he loves it. Um, but which is funny because as I mentioned that Dwayne is constantly on Zoom calls with us CFL and TSN with just cats crawling over his shoulder because he has like three cats <laughs> oh, at his house. So he's a cat guy. Yeah. Well, Sherry's a cat woman and uh, oh, okay. he, he, he accepts. He's adopted the, the cat life. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But I don't trust um, him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, he's uh He's super, super fun to work with. Anybody who has followed along here on CFP, I think, knows how much I uh, love working with him. And the real crazy thing about that was the Canadian football chat prospects game was on that Friday mm-hmm. at one o'clock was the kickoff. So that game went from like one to four. I got to the stadium at like 2.30 for our 7.30 kickoff. And I'm sitting in the, in the media wing doing my prep. And Dwayne is calling a game and he's not like mailing it in because, oh, it's just prospect kids. Like Dwayne loves calling that prospect game as much as he loves calling CFL games. Oh, that's cool. So he was like, I, I actually watched the prospects game on TSN uh, this previous Monday uh, and he, he just crushed it. He knew every kid, knew their parents, had talked to them, had been at practice all week, um, basically getting to know all of these different players. And, and then he like went over, grabbed some food across from td place came back and did a cfl game for another four <laughs> hours so uh i, I have you a, just start getting sick of listening to yourself at that point eh? well like, it, oh in the God, fourth I'm still talking in the fourth quarter he was fading a little bit and i kind of got the sense of that and i was like okay i'm, I'm gonna try to like carry some of the weight uh, here because i think Dwayne needs it's over yeah it's like all right we got <laughs> it's this clutch right time now. yeah <laughs> uh, I and mean, that's funny because you said you got there a little bit early i know like you know just from playing we would get there pretty early but yeah i'm curious to see would you guys like do you have any sort of like game day routine because i know i wouldn't eat i wouldn't eat anything i'd wake up maybe have like a coffee and at most like some oatmeal and i would just my stuff if i ate anything my stomach would be turning like and even if we played at 7 30 same thing i would just not eat anything it's like really gotta do this yeah and in the most days i would wake up and i'd have a pretty good breakfast, lunch, all that kind of stuff. But for whatever reason, just my body was just like, nope. And it's not that I was like, no, I'm not going to eat anything. It's just my body was just like, nope. So I obviously had some sort of like fight or flight thing going on. Yeah. But nothing. Yeah. For me, I think it's funny. Like when I was playing, uh, we would have those 1 p.m. kickoffs, right? Like we very rarely had the the evening games. Um, but those 1 p.m. kickoffs, my breakfast, I would just crush an, an obscene amount of fruit for no reason. I like, I would just, because it, fruit was lighter on my stomach. I didn't want like the eggs and the bacons and all that kind of stuff. So I would just yeah. have a ton of like light fruit, maybe some yogurt or something like that. Um, but now that I'm doing games and like, I'm a morning person. And so staying up and having energy late into a game mm-hmm. in, in like the fourth quarter at 11 PM is typically tough for me. But mm-hmm. the way I've been able to work around that is, I eat a massive like brunch when I'm doing a game at like 7:30 that night. Like something that will carry me for the majority of the game. And then I'll pack like a couple of protein bars or a little snack of this or that. Just something like to get me through where it's halftime and I'm like I need a little boost. But the real thing and it's probably unhealthy that I rely on, I crush the largest coffee on the planet like <laughs> an hour before the game. That's I and it's not that I can't do the game without it. Yeah. I think it just, it gives me the sustained slow grind. So, and I actually, um, I wasn't sure where to get coffee when I was calling this game in Ottawa. 
And then I was like, oh, there's a Whole Foods. I'm pretty sure that has a little cafe right across from the stadium. So I went over there and I looked at the board and I saw that they had an Americano on the menu, which if you've ever had an Americano, it's literally an espresso shot that's like filtered through water. Yeah. Right. So um, I got a large Americano and I sat and did my prep in the booth for like three hours just sipping on this thing. I didn't I I don't eat dinner when I call games because I don't (laughs) want to be like, you know, heavy or have, you know burping up as i'm making a big call or something like that because i just shoveled food into my face plus the media meals suck like everywhere <laughs> like i don't everywhere. care i don't care what people say like everybody does like oh man hamilton's so much better than toronto or ottawa's better than montreal or i'm like they're all bad they're like soggy boxed fries with like bone in chicken wing i'm like okay sure well that's because just <laughs> i think you guys are it goes like you know refs as most hated <laughs> and then it's you know maybe it's got to be something but i just don't want to put you guys as second most handed so i'm trying to find something but it's like almost like you get there you know what i mean and not that it's funny because you know everybody loves and hates the media because all the media doesn't know what they're talking about all the media blah, 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 all this kind of stuff but without it it's we won't have a game you know yeah, what yeah. I mean? but <laughs> yeah. it, it's um, funny you brought up the whole um trying because you're a morning person and trying to stay awake i'm the exact same way so when we would go out and play bc it was a disaster and and people that aren't used to it so i used to get out there we used to land and we'd either go you know two days before or a day before but that night i would like stay up as late as i could and just be an absolute zombie and then plan to sleep in that whole morning as like and not move from my bed even when you wake up you're like no go back to sleep go back because of that reason i remember early on i remember we would have those seven o'clock games in bc and i'd have to i'd be like go over to our trainer i'd be like hey you got like an energy drink or or coffee or something and it'd be like the third middle of the third quarter going to the fourth i'd be like i need something so and then i would just end up having those five hour energies i have one before the game one at halftime i'm like i'm not going through that again yeah. i'm staying awake through it but then the problem is you at home at 3 a.m after oh. the time you get out of the stadium and whatever you're doing. And I'm laying in bed like this, <laughs> just, wide, just wide awake. Sarah, the room. Can't sleep for like two days. It's just like, Oh my God, this can't so, be good for me. This is and again, just before we get to Derek here, I'll tell you, I have some ridiculous BC stories because I was doing morning radio when I was calling Ticats games, which means we start at 6am, which means I'm usually up at four 30. And so 4.30 Eastern, of course, is 1.30 a.m. Pacific. But I'm only there for about a 24-hour period to fly in, call the game, fly out. I'm like, I'm not messing up my whole sleep schedule and missing my alarm to go do morning radio on Monday morning because I got to call a game on Saturday night at 7 p.m. So I would stick to Eastern time. So I would go to bed in B.C. at like 7 o'clock. Like the sun hasn't even thought about going down when it's June or July. And then I would wake up at about 1.32 a.m. and do prep like through the night. I'd be sitting there in, in the hotel doing prep. And the second that the sun would start to come up, I would just go for like a three-hour walk around Stanley Park. Like that was my way of just killing time was just like go do something. In the one year, I rented a paddleboard because I was like, I want to do something active to kind of get the juices flowing and wake my body up and stuff. So I found a, a wag jag for a paddleboard and I took it from, <laughs> wag jag. Yeah, I oh took I, I took it from the end of <laughs> uh like down by BC Place out all the way to like Sunset Beach, Second Beach, like out towards Stanley Park. 
And I was like, man, this is super fun. It took me like an hour and a half to paddle down. I really enjoyed it. And then I realized the second I turned around, oh, you know why it was so fun? I had the current at my back. And I spent the next three hours paddling directly into the current to try and get back to where I had been uh, up at the top of, of where BC Place was. And by the time I got there, I was like, soaked i had to like exhausted and that was like i went i'll never forget this mike it was before the game and that was a game that mike morielli couldn't be there as my color guy so i had to do it solo play by play and color uh it was just me in the booth with with a microphone for the game uh and i went over and found some place that had like you know the, the largest pizza i could possibly find and i sat and ate like an xl pepperoni to myself (laughs) <laughs> because I had burnt so much yeah. calories just like something in my through the here. day. Body clock was so off and whatever. So anyways, yeah, it's that time change stuff. I'm glad you've actually brought that up because it is one of those things where week one, every single game is in the West. Like yeah. there's there's no teams from the East and that stuff is, we'll talk about it more as the season goes on, but um, it's wild the impact that that has on bodies. And if you're, but that was the thing I respected so much with your Ticats teams was you guys would go out to BC and consistently like, compete and get get after it and like it was so much fun to know that you guys were going through this like body trauma and just like nope don't care we're getting after it but i will say 2018 when we were out there jalen acclimated that ridiculous catch Mm -hmm. uh i think braylon uh was starred in that game but june jones coaching a game on the west coast did it not seem like june just felt more at home like call (laughs) calling that game hanging out being around there was something about being the pacific time zone that june was just more himself it was weird yeah he probably went over to the other bench was like guys you gotta hire me gotta bring me back out here (laughs) i miss west coast i gotta get back out here man there's ocean breeze he loves it he he does love it let's uh let's get to our interview with Derek dennis of course offensive lineman for the calgary stampeders um what is what is your connection to Derek? what made you interested in getting him on uh, honestly, we just know of each other playing, but we didn't really have any personal connection. So the reason I reached out to him is, you know, if anybody follows him on Twitter or, or any social media, or you listen to interviews from Calgary, he's always the one talking about essentially what the players are thinking. And you'll see, we'll touch on it in the, the interview, but there's a lot of players, I think, that are nervous to say things just for their career wise, right? Like, you don't want to be that guy that's, you know, starting to speak your mind and then it kind of affects whether you're going to get re-signed and and Derek touches on it a little bit and it's it's that weird balance where you know if you're talking to a guy like Derek or a guy like Dane or Speedy or Mazzoli or Jaguar Davis like these guys that you know are going to be around and teams are going to want them they have a little more leeway with that yeah and you get to the guys that you know, role players like myself for a little bit, um, those type of guys, you kind of get nervous. And I don't think you should be because I don't, I don't really think the owners or anything like that are, are doing anything to blackball people that much. But if you kind of touch a nerve, then maybe one team and all it takes is one, will be like, oh, we just really don't want to bring that on. You know what I mean? You see all that stuff in the NFL with like the Antonio Brown. and That's kind of how players think. So the reason I wanted to get Derek on, is because he will speak up about those issues and he will kind of say, Hey, this is what players are thinking. This is how, this is how the locker room is. And it, it was, it was awesome to have him on because it was exactly what I thought, what I had heard from 
other teammates that he would be it was awesome welcome to june everybody looking forward to having some great shows for you throughout this month and of course this season here on the daily news and on canadian football perspective let's listen in to our chat with the one and only derek dennis joined now by derek dennis of the calgary stampeders once again back in the red and white uh i was saying just before we came on here derek i'm ashamed as the guy who created canadian football perspective that we've never had you on before. And the reason that I say that is because to me, you're kind of like the Draymond Green of the CFL. You ain't scared of shit when it comes <laughs> no. to talking about no. things, tweeting about things, talking to people about things that are controversial. I love that you just absolutely do not have a fear. Where does that come from? Like, how is that developed in you where you're like, you know what? I'm just going to say stuff. <laughs> Honestly, I think it's just, just a product of my environment. I'm from New York City, so I grew up in a place where people are not scared to tell you about themselves. People are not scared to share their feelings, and you got to have tough skin. I mean, growing up, I had to have tough skin growing up. You know, people will say things that just kind of is off the wall and is unexpected to catch you off guard. So uh, I try to be, you know, in my position like Draymond, I try to be a little more conscious of um, – saying things that are intelligent because you know people are always quick to right. you know if you just throw things out there people are just quick to jump on twitter and just kind of get on you for no reason right so i always like to just challenge people and have intelligent conversations and give people another perspective um because you know a lot of athletes are kind of scared to put themselves out there because they just don't want to be perceived as you know certain in a certain light or want to be looked upon as unintelligent right i love having conversations i love talking about things i love giving my perspective because i feel like how, how are you going to learn about stuff if you don't talk about it so yeah, and I think that's kind of my favorite thing is you say what a lot of people are actually thinking, right? And you know that because you talk in a locker room and everybody will say, oh, yeah, I appreciate you stay, you know, standing up like that. But it's funny to see how when you just say something like that because, you know, some guys are nervous because it might go back to the GM. They might get, you know, hit the coach or something like that. But when you say it, I mean, it's funny because you'll – you'll talk with anybody online about it and they might be saying you're wrong and you'll tell them exactly why you're right. And, you know, we just appreciate as players because you're like, yeah, that's what a lot of what Derek's saying is a lot of people are saying that in the locker room. You're just not hearing it. Right. And as, and as yeah, media, sure. I would say too, Derek, like sometimes there's things that you say that I disagree with, but then I ask somebody who's closer to the game and they're like, Oh no, Derek's right. <laughs> you know, it's crazy. Um, a lot of guys in the league will call me, They'll tweet me, they'll like DM me or they'll text me and be like, yo, bro, I need you to go on Twitter. I need you to go in. I need you to like, I need you to like stand up for us. Cause I don't know what it is. Like you said, a lot of guys are just scared to kind of put themselves out there and just say things. Right. And for me, um, I feel like I have the, the, the mental capacity and a demeanor to handle whatever comes my way. Right. It kind of did bite me in the butt a little bit. Cause you know, after 2019 season, a lot of teams, I feel like a little skeptical of touching me just because they know, I'm a guy that has no problem with it. Teams doing something bad, I'll call you out on it. Like, I'm not going to be scared to say that, right? And a, a lot of times in football, especially, um, you know, you got older, old, old school people who kind of into that, you know, we just want you here to play ball. We don't need you to do any of the other stuff, right? And I feel like, like Draymond said, man, we're in an era now where it kind of, you know, shut up and dribble and shut up and play is kind of long gone, right? We, we as athletes have a platform to be able to kind of put our opinions out there um, and I, I don't I don't really condone people just saying anything, right? If you're going to put it out there, at least make it intelligent, at least have an argument for why you feel that way. So even if people don't agree with it, like, I mean, it's a, that's what Twitter is. It's all opinions, right? Not everybody's going to agree with what you say. But if you can have an intelligent conversation and go, you know what? I understand where you're coming from. This is how I view it. 
and then have that back and forth, and then that's it. You know, there's there's nothing wrong with that. That's interesting about the players that are messaging you to be like, hey, we need you to stand up. Because once you put that expectation on yourself as I'm the guy who's willing to step up and have these conversations, it creates this burden on you. Like, do you feel that burden at all? Is that something that you've kind of reflected on and you've said, oh, I didn't realize I was was becoming this guy that was going to be expected to speak out on things. But once you get to that point where people expect you to start speaking on things and you don't, they're like, well, something must be wrong. Why is he being quiet about this issue? Yeah, actually, that's that's what it is, man. I was actually getting that once camp started and we got to swing at things. And I even had fans come up like, yo, you're the most vocal CFL player that, that's, you know, on social media about topics and saying things. And you've been, like, eerily quiet since the whole CBA. You're like, yeah, I'm I, working. I'm in training camp. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm practicing it, too. Like, for me, I know this is, like, my second – I was I was kind of getting into the league after the 2014 CBA, and then I went through it in 2019. So for me, it's like a like a pattern, right? I kind of knew where things would go, so I felt like it wasn't no need for me to say anything because I kind of knew what would happen, right? But I was very vocal with you know being in contact with um, a lot of you know Solomon and you know having having that relationship, to be able to text those guys and call them and saying, hey, you know, you know, reaching out to me saying, hey. You know, we love that you have that perspective. You, you're one of the guys in the league who we view as a leader, someone who people listen to what you say. So when you say things, you know, we kind of pay attention to it. So, I mean, it's kind of it's kind of the moniker I've taken on. And I, I didn't plan on it being that way, but me just being myself and being someone who's not afraid to say things and challenge people and, and, and go against the grain has kind of put me in that position. But I don't have no problem, but it's no pressure to me. To me, it's just me talking. I don't look at it as like, oh, I need to be the voice of the people, even though I end up kind of being that. It's just more of a, I just feel like, you know, athletes need to stop being afraid to just put themselves out there and let people know, like, this is how I feel. Yeah, and it's it's funny you say that because, you know, I started this once I was done playing, mainly because that, because it's like, okay, well, I know if I say what I really feel or what I'm really thinking, it's either going to get back to a coach, back to a GM, whatever it might be. But then once you get out, you're like, man, that's kind of even with the fans, you know what I mean? I mean, you see it enough. The fans are itching for it, right? And yeah. I know you started on on Twitter. You started uh, the little group with the CFL players to kind of give everyone insight, like, hey, this is what we talk about. This is what's going on. And that was – I think that was cool. You know, that was really – that was taken too well. Um, but, I mean, in terms of, you know, trying to – balance that act do you ever get anything from the coaches uh like them coming up to you saying hey maybe you should tone it down a little bit maybe you should you know maybe not be so opinionated on twitter something like that or do they just not care every day i get i got it in the off season um i actually got i actually got in a little bit of trouble with well, huff and dicky when uh they went through the whole thing with the um the db that was on the roster and was trying to go to the usfl type of thing right and i was just tweeting about the topic in general right I think me and uh, JC Abbott got into it on on Twitter about it and I know he's a passionate you know CFL guy and I love talking to people who are passionate about the game because I, I hate the fact that sometimes my viewpoints may get misconstrued as someone who's like complaining or doesn't care when in all actuality I really do care I love the Canadian game I love everything about it I just love to challenge it because I know it can be better I know it can be bigger I know it can be more right so if I feel like if a player who's in the game and experiencing the things on the field and behind the scenes and behind closed doors can challenge it you know it's kind of you know I understand why other people outside of it may be not understand my perspective right because they don't know everything that goes on behind closed doors right and sometimes 
I, I do give a little bit too much of a peek behind the veil. And I know I have to sometimes, like, I'll have coaches reach out and be like, hey, Tony down, big fella. You, 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 may, you may be going a little too far. And I'll be like, okay, you know what, you're right. I'll take a step back or I'll find different ways to be innovative and try to give that same peek, but more like a, hey, quick, three seconds, close it back. Like, I didn't give you too much. I gave you enough to make you think about it. Well, and that's, I mean, you know, one thing that I've seen that you're kind of a little bit more vocal on and, and I think is a good thing is the other leagues that are popping up, right? You mentioned the USFL now with the XFL coming back. Um, I know a lot of guys that I played with, that's, that's where they are right now. They're in the USFL and, you know, people always talk like, ah, those leagues won't survive. Those leagues won't last. You were in the XFL and then it did stop, but do guys care about that? Do guys really care if that league is going to last or is it kind of like get out there, get a paycheck for as long as you can? If it lasts, great. If it doesn't, at least I'm playing near home. What do you kind of think, you know, the new XFL, the USFL is going to last? Do you think that'll go a long time or is it just one of those things that's going to keep popping up? Honestly, um, in my opinion, uh, my short time in the XFL, I think spring football can work. And I think what the XFL showed in that short five weeks kind of gave reason why the, the Rock and, and um, Redbird and Danny Garcia got into it, right? The reason why the USFL popped up. Because those five weeks of what the XFL did actually showed people that spring football can work if you put the proper amount of money and the right resources and the right people behind it, right? So um, I thought the I think the spring leagues are great, honestly. I want them to survive because I feel like the CFL for a long time has gotten complacent and comfortable with not having to compete for talent and not having other leagues push them to kind of be innovative, right? There's kind of been the, this works, this, it would, you know, what's, if it's not broke, don't fix it type of thing. And they haven't really challenged themselves to push push the envelope, right? And I think what um, the Rock and them are creating and what the USFL has kind of created too is, is putting the CFL in a u- unique position where now you see we're getting things in the CBA now that probably 10 years ago owners would have never even thought about from trying to give that to players, right? Because they, I think they understand now the challenges that the next five years is going to present for them, right? Even if the leagues don't last over the next – they'll be around for the next five years, right? Whether they pa- last past the next five years, we have yet to be seen, right? Again – it has to be a revenue generator. And if it proves to be a revenue generator, then that's why it's, it's going to last right now. A lot of people don't know a lot of the numbers and the intricacies of what the XFL was, but they actually made about $50 million in those five weeks um, from, you know, sponsorships, TV revenues, all that stuff, right? Because people were actually excited about it. Those crowds, they weren't bad. We were, they were averaging, we're averaging about outside of me. I was in New York. New York was a tough market to kind of, to kind of get going, right? But St. Louis was selling out 40 50,000, right? <laughs> St. Louis and, was and, thirsty since they lost the Rams. Yeah. Like they, they were, uh, yeah. Those Battlehawks crowds, I was like, what? Yeah, yeah, they were they actually the game, the game after so New, I joined New York the week after they played them, right? And I think the week that XFL had got canceled because of COVID, uh, St. Louis, the next three home games they had was completely sold out, and I think that old arena held like 65,000. So <laughs> They were good. They had sold out games already. People were just so happy to have football back in St. Louis. Right. And I think that's what you see with the Rockets created as he's found markets to where there's a there's a thirst for football. Right. For people who may have lost NFL teams, for people who may not have, don't have like San Antonio. AF was doing really good with San Antonio. San Antonio was selling out crowds. And that's why it's such a big market for spring football, because people in Texas, Texas is a football state. 
people don't care what kind of football it is. If it's football to watch, they're going to go watch it, right? So that's why you see The Rock. Um, I know they haven't announced it yet, but there's been tidbits on Twitter, right? They have three teams in Texas. They got Dallas, Houston, and San Antonio, right? Those are going to be games. Houston did really well in XFL. Dallas, um, I played in Dallas, did really well, man. It was a, a lot of, I, I got an Uber on the way to the stadium. The Uber driver was talking about how him and his friends were so excited to be able to go watch pro football in the spring, right? So those are things that you can capitalize on if you do it right, right? Now, I think what's going to make the XFL unique is they just signed a seven-year deal with Disney. I mean, that's a big deal, right? That's a lot of revenue. That's a lot of, that's a lot of resources that can be dumped into the league to give it at least three to five years to figure out if they can make it viable long-term, right? And The Rock himself as a Hollywood star is going to be able to, you know, you got somebody like that who can pick up the phone and can call anybody and have them just come to a game and be able to kind of create that excitement, that entertainment, right? Again, we are football players. We are in the business of entertainment, right? People want to come to the game for the experience, for who they can see, for what they can do, right? Um, and I kind of learned that too, watching, uh, I don't know if you guys watched the HBO show, Winning Time, with the Rise and yeah. Lakers, right? And how they were able to build that. But it's the same thing, right? Lakers were struggling, weren't selling games. They had to find ways to get people into the stadium. And it was the entertainment and the marketing that built that, right? So if you don't focus on that and put money and invest money into the entertainment and the marketing, well, how are you going to expect people to want to come to these games, right? So I think, that element of it is what's going to make it um, uh, a unique, unique thing moving forward in these next five years. I could go 25 different directions, but I can't pick one. So Mike, you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I actually, I hopped on the marketing thing because I mean, you know, in, in my mind, and I know it's talked about all the, all over the places, you look at places like Toronto, right. And, and that's my first, that's the first thing in my head is if you got the rock and these other leagues marketing like crazy and we're sitting here and I feel like we're missing out so much because it's, it's almost reliant up to podcasts like what you're doing with the, with the trap, right. Or what you're doing on Twitter or Mm -hmm. even just talking on Twitter or whatever it might be. It's reliant on really the players to be like, Hey, this is marketing for the CFL. You know what I mean? Other than that, it's like, it's almost like they're complacent. And you said it perfectly. It seems like they're getting complacent at this time, because if we're going to get beat out marketing from the XFL, I mean, you look at Toronto, look at BC, some, you know, some of those home games when you go there. I mean, when we go to Toronto, the only reason it seems somewhat full is because it's all the Hamilton fans, but there's no marketing. And it's just frustrating as a player to say, why do we have to be the ones marketing? Derek Dennis, right? You see more stuff on the CFL draft of guys that might make it, might not, and not enough on on Derek Dennis or, you know, Speedy B or Bolivar Mitchell. And it's just frustrating, man. That's you talk about all the time in locker rooms. Like, do you have any idea how we can change that? What do we need to do? Is there anything we can do? The first thing I would mention about Toronto is that I drove past BMO Field the other day and I realized. Oh, they still have the old A logo on the side of Bebo Field. <laughs> no. I was like, if you, if an NFL team changed their primary logo, do you think the old one would still be on the side of their home stadium? Damn. No. 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 I, honestly, I think it's and, it's and it's weird too, right? Because think about uh, like before The Rock really got into the XFL, right? Whenever he would mention the CFL, how they would just blast it over everything, right? How they would – the hyperbole of even though the rock was in the league for what two three weeks 
maybe. Like, he wasn't even, like, a star in the league. Man, he has cranked those three weeks into more content than anybody oh who's ever God. spent three weeks. Listen, listen I, I make jokes with guys all the time. I'm like, if I got to hear this $7 story again about how after he got cut from Calgary, he had seven bucks in his pocket. I'm like, hey. okay, we get it. And we get more, there's more press about Chase Claypool because he's a Canadian player on the CFL yes. stuff. Then it's like, I'm like, this guy he probably doesn't even know what the team names are. And he's got more marketing. To, to Derek's point though, about that $7 story, I laughed for years, Derek, because like once every nine months, he would take to Instagram and he would post like a three minute story of him, like watching a Lions game on TV. And every time everybody in the CFL was like, this is the coolest. I was like, We've heard this. <laughs> We've heard it's the exact same story over and over and over again. Oh, uh, it's funny, man. Because I'm like, I'm like, man. Think about, think about all the great players that have come through this league, right? And and a lot of the things too. But what I do is, I want to kind of help build it to the point to where when guys are done with their career, right, they're able to come back and be able to monetize whatever whatever impact they left on the league, right? For me, my thought process is if I can help the league grow and be bigger, then my time here was worth it, right? More than what I did on the football field, right? Because I'm tired of having to go back home to the States and people look at me and they can tell I'm a pro football player, but they have no clue where I play, right? And as soon as I say, oh, I'm in the CFL, they go, what's that? Oh, they play football in Canada? I had no clue. Like, what's it like? And it's, then I get all the questions of, well, how different is it? Like, you know, and then people finally watch the game and they go, okay, yeah, that was kind of cool. Like, and they get thrown off a lot of quirky stuff with the yard off the ball and the bruise and all these different things, right? But um, when people finally, when I finally explain to them, like, you know, the uniqueness of the game and what it presents, then it's kind of like, a, oh, okay, I didn't even know, like, you know, that was a viable option, right? So my thing is, um, and you brought up the point of Toronto, right? You have Drake right there in your backyard. If I was in CFL marketing, I would say, listen, can we scrum up 500, 600, close to a million dollars, say, hey, Drake, come to Argos game for 30 minutes and just tweet about it, right? Drake has close to what 50 million followers on social media probably more you know across right mm -hmm. and a lot of those people are canon right it's the same thing with the raptors right it, it, you got someone who literally has the entire country behind them and if he was to mention the league one time how much traffic you can get and build off of it right did you, did you see him watching on uh, on his instagram the cebl right the canadian league yes. basketball league like literally this past week it was the, it was the scarborough shooting stars because jake hole's playing for them mm -hmm. and, and he exactly. said he said one thing and i saw the cfl reddit braden Statchel sent out this where he just said like the amount of exposure that that dude putting one post up is worth it's the reason why the kardashians charge two million dollars for advertised posts it's why people on Instagram make so much money for having a certain amount of followers, right? I actually got a good friend of mine back home. She has like 50,000 followers, right? And people pay her thousands of dollars just to post one post, right? Um, I seen it on Instagram one time, like uh, Christian Ronaldo gets a million dollars a post, right? Just to post something about a product. People will pay him a million dollars because they know how much traffic and revenue mm -hmm. him posting it is going to create, right? So why not? utilize that to your advantage right why not have all these canadian guys that you like to post content about at least reach out to them and say hey if we send you ten thousand dollars you know come to a game you know post about a game like stuff like that that's just going to create especially with the new age of social media and how much access that you can create um revenue and traffic for yourself if you just get the right people with the right amount of eyes on them to say one thing about you right um, I think the NFL now is even doing it to where they have TikTok stars 
as team ambassadors so that they can post stuff and say they're at a game and post the experience to get get it out to people, right? So they can say, hey, you know what? I, w- I want to actually go watch a Washington Commanders game, even though I know they stink and they're not going to win. I just want to go to the game for the experience, right? I want to go to the stadium. I want to go, you know, be in the crowd. I want to have a beer. I want to have a hot dog, right? You know, see stadiums with making all these different types of foods, right? To have people want to come and do like a food challenge, right? There's so many different ways that you can build traffic and revenue for the league that they're just not capitalizing on right now. And to be honest, it's like the, the, hundred million dollar question like why are they not trying to capitalize on this right now so um i think there's there's tons of opportunity for marketing there's tons of opportunity for branding there's tons of different ways to kind of get the brand out there and players you know are kind of just kind of been begging for it right that's why you see guys doing podcasts that's why you see guys you know creating clothing brands guys um we got a ton of athletes like don jackson who's 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 musically gifted right um who can kind of create a buzz and revenue, right? Guys who have so much impact and status in their communities that can get even people in the States to watch it just because they know someone from the area, right? Or there's, you know, commercials and stuff like that. I, I mean, I seen a fan tweet something about uh, 15 years ago, CFL players used to be in commercials with sponsors, right? You know what I'm saying? Why are we have why are we having a hard time getting sponsors, right? Because for some reason, the league is just not giving the sponsors access to the athletes to be able to build content and create and generate revenue, right? That's why sponsors have a hard time sticking with the league, right? Because it's just for a league where you can have infinite access to the athletes and connect them with the people and to not use that to your advantage, it just baffles me. Do you think a longer-term CBA could change that? Like, now that you've that it's been signed for seven years, like, do you think that now it's not so much like, hey, we don't want to give you guys too much power because we got to go into negotiations in a year or two? Like, could the term actually make a difference in the relationship? It definitely could. I think it's more of what's in the term, right? Because in the past, athletes have had a hard time getting um, sponsorships individually, right? Because we couldn't we couldn't talk about the league without the league's consent, right? The league had to make money off of it in order for us to use the brand and use the name, right? When you can see, when I was in the NFL, guys could, you know, use the fact that they were with a team or an athlete, right? As long as you didn't use the logo or whatever, right? You could still find ways to generate interest and revenue, right? Um, the biggest thing why I tell why, you know, you always get that NFL, CFL type of comparison and talkers, right? The NFL players are no different than CFL players. Well, all of us played with these guys in college. All of us played with these guys in high school, right? They're no different outside of maybe two to three guys per team, which is the top 10%, right? Like there's not a hundred, a hundred Julio Joneses or, or Julius Peppers or no, those type of guys, right? Those are the guys that make the difference, right? But from outside of them to the middle to the bottom of the roster, those guys could easily been the CFL stars and CFL stars could easily been those same type of guys, right? You see it all. I see it every day. Guys can't make a CFL team, but they get cut. And then two weeks later, they're on the NFL practice roster and then start right. playing three, four years in the NFL, right? So it's like, why is it that people seem to think that athletes are inferior, right? It's because we don't have that larger than life image that NFL athletes have, right? We don't have the money and the resources to, for people look at us and go, you know, you know, that image of, of being, you know, big, larger than life, right? Even though we got just as many personalities, we got just as many great athletes. It's, it's part of the reason of the pay and pay scales and dealing with the race and all things, right? For some reason, those things, stop people from looking at us as larger than life athletes right and that's the only reason why the nfl gets 
the things that they get and able to keep creating revenue and doing things and looked at as the top tier leagues because people look at those athletes and they think, yo, those guys are the best in the world when in all actuality, us as football players know not all of them are the best athletes in the world, right? So I think that's part of the part of the the what needs to be built is that we need to find a way to make CFL athletes that larger than life image, right? Because once we get them to that point, we're able to increase salaries, we're able to get people, you know, when guys start making enough money to where they can look at it, though, you know, I've seen um like James Wilder tweeted, like, oh, I don't like the fact that they're tweeting out guys' salaries. No, you want that. You want people to see that guys are making more money because now they're thinking, oh, this guy's making so much money, it's you know, they right? get exactly exactly that's how that's how you build that larger than life that life image like i i don't mind tweeting out you know when i signed that deal assassin Derek dennis was the highest paid american tackle i was cool with that like that's cool that's building that image of right. you know me being a, a celebrity you know upper echelon athlete somebody that can be able to get sponsorships and get revenue and bring that to the league and spread it out and, and kind of build that right so that's i feel like we need more of that i'm hoping a long-term deal and giving athletes more access to be able to do things, do more things in the community, be able to kind of just use the CFL brand and what we've been doing for ourselves already and kind of get the league to pour into that as well is going to help overall. And I think the the big thing is, you know, getting the Americans a little more guarantees, I guess, you know, with the, with the nationalized American, that kind of stuff, because, and then you got the 49%. You need, because the problem is, is, I mean, I mean, you could talk to it more than I can, but now when you're talking about going between a couple different leagues, you're like, well, mm-hmm. I can stay home or I can come up to the CFL. What a guy, like, I mean, the pay doesn't have to be that much off, but if you've got the chance to stay at home, you're probably going to stay at home or at least somewhere in the States rather than going to Canada. But now to see that, you know, they're putting a little bit of effort and saying, okay, now we'll have the nationalized American. Right. So now that's going to keep some of those guys, those those household names like yourself. Right. Mm-hmm. Like Zach Kalaros, like those type of guys around and now in the same spot. Right. And then you got the other guys that can play the 49 percent. That's going to keep guys a little longer term. Right. Because the Canadians are the ones that are staying on one team for a long time. The Americans, it's like, well, there's no incentive to. Right. There's no right. ratio protecting them. But now with this, I think. I think that's huge for guys. I want to stay, stick around one team, want to be able to market around that one team. You want to get those sponsorships, you know, for yourself in Calgary, right? That's going to be huge. Cause they're like, Oh, you know what? Derek Dennis, he's going to stay here a little bit because he's now got that status. And I mean, Hey, maybe you can go play guard once in a while now too, that you might be a Canadian. You know what I mean? I already got a couple guard games under my belt. Actually Calgary did it to me in 2016. Sash did it to me. Like, I don't know. And that's the weird thing, too, is, like, my whole career, I've been a guy who's played multiple positions, right? But in the CFL, as an American, if you go from playing tackle to guard, now there's something looking at you like, oh, you're not good enough to stink, right? And that's a lot of that has to tie into the ratio and stuff like that, right? I remember, like, when Sash moved me from tackle to guard, and I remember, you know, Chaz being on TSN saying, oh, he got demoted, you know, he's not playing well enough. And he goes, no, they asked me to do that because the team needed it, right? They felt like... You know, the Canadian guy they had wasn't ready to play guard and they had another American who could play tackle. So they tweaked the ratio so that it could help the team. Right. But for some reason, that storyline of me getting demoted was what was was what was got pushed. Right. So um, that's the that's the stuff that as American, you got to deal with sometimes. Right. So um, and, and, and again, too, I think protecting the American stars is important because, um, 
think about, you know, old school guy like Ron Lancaster, right, who was able to kind of play under that nationalized type of, um, you know, thing. Or uh, the, what was the running back from Sash? Uh, Reed, uh, 34 Reed, right, who was oh, a yeah, very popular Reed. right player. Yeah, who were able to play under that nationalized status, right? So, um, and those are the guys who people to this day still talk about, who love, who are basically like entrenched in CFL culture, right? So, um, I think being able to protect the stars, give guys a chance to be able to build that is important for the league, right? Because, like I said, these new spring leagues, that's kind of what happened to me from 2019 to 2020, right? I talked to a lot of teams, teams were interested, right? But because of my resume, I came with a certain price tag, right? And teams were like, you know what? I don't know if we're willing to spend that on a tackle, all these different things, right? And then as soon as I became available and I reached out to the XFL, they was like, oh, you're free? Like, a guy like you? Oh, yeah, come on, come play with us, like, type of thing, right? And you got to deal with that now with not just veteran guys, but also the younger guys, right? And that's really what's been the lifeblood of CFL is the rookies coming in and being able to play on a lower deal, play with that expectation of being able to go to NFL, right? How many times have you seen guys like Deontay Spencer come through the league or a guy like, you know, um, Devontae Deadman, right? Um, like yeah. Guys like that who who, who are who could be bona fide stars up here, right? But because they do get that opportunity for NFL to snatch them for a couple months, see if they stick, see if they don't stick type of thing, right? You don't want to have to keep constantly dealing with that, right? Because those are guys that you can build a brand around, right? So if you give those guys a chance to kind of feel like they can make money and, mm-hmm. and do some things with it, then those guys would be more likely to stick around, right? So, um, yeah, I think that's what the the nationalized um, status thing is coming from. Now, again, how they – excuse me, how are they going to figure out the 49% and all this other stuff? I don't know how that's going to work, right? So, this even is, for this me – This is my theory on it, is I think what you guys are going to see as an O-line is you're just going to see on second and long – an all-American D-line, whether there's a Canadian D. I think that's what's going to end up happening. You're have you had see... that in training camp? Has there been any rotation packages where you're like, wait a minute, Derek Wigan is not – where is Wigan? <laughs> He's disappeared. I mean, I think I think teams are kind of incorporating that into their, like, repertoire, right? I know a lot of teams have these little, like, quirky packages. Um, They may give it, like, race car names, right, where they can have all the speed guys on the field at the same time. And all of a sudden, you're looking at four or five defensive ends on the field, and you're going, wait a minute, why are they all here at the same time? Like, what's going on, right? So I think that's going to be something, you know, you know a guy like Chris Jones is going to find a way to utilize it to to his advantage. (laughs) I don't know how, right? He's he's found ways around it in the past, so I know giving him a little more leeway, he's going to have some fun with it, so – who knows, you know, how it's going to work and who's going to be in charge of keeping track of it. But my thing was just more of, I just feel like CFL athletes as a whole need to have uh, more say in marketing, need to have more say in how the, the game is being grown and how the league can grow. And also just giving guys that opportunity to, to make money, right? I always felt like the minimum salary in the CFL, at least by now, we're talking 2022, should have at least been a hundred thousand or each like, you know, for every, for, you know, medium guy. Right. And then you got the higher tier guys, the quarterbacks are always going to make more and all these things. Right. So um, I think, I think if, as we grow to that, it's going to help the league grow. Um, again, that's why I promote the other leagues and talk about the other leagues because competition is king, right? There's a football player. You always taught that every day is competition, right? No spot is guaranteed. You never promise tomorrow. Right. So I feel like, if we're held to a certain standard to perform to be able to hold these spots and play in this league, then I feel like so should the owners and coaches and everybody else who's involved with it, right, be held to those same standards to kind of keep pushing and promote, right? Um, so 
Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's kind of where I'm at with the whole thing, right? I always just want to find, like again, like I said, find ways to challenge the game to be better, challenge the players to be better, challenge the coaches to be better, challenge the front offices, the GMs to be better, right? I'm excited about the guaranteed contracts things. I hope, yeah. you know, teams actually do give those out because now and it's going to force And that's the thing, them. right? And you kind of worry yeah. about that. It's like, yeah, okay, we have it in, but are they going to yeah. agree to that, right? But And you hope they do, and that's the reason they put it out front. But that would be huge, right? That's huge Absolutely. for guys. Absolutely. That's, that's part of the reason why NFL teams don't have so much roster turnover, right, outside of the bottom of the roster, right? You're always going to have those stars who are always going to be there, right, because those guarantees will keep those stars around, right? And, again, too, you always see the big contracts, right, in the NFL. You'll see a six-year, $100 million deal, realistically. It's really a two-year deal. But as long as, you know, there's some guarantees and at least a guy knows I got two years to prove myself if I want to get the other four years of the deal, right? So if they use it in that context, I think it will be big, right? You should you should be able to see a guy like Adam Big Hill finish his career in Winnipeg, right? Or a guy like, you know, you know Willie J or, you know, the big name stars, right? Speedy B should, should have been able to finish in Hamilton, right? And not have to deal with the politics of younger guys being cheaper and all this other stuff, right? So... And that's um, how I always okay. explain the contracts. People would be like, hey, how do the contracts work? I was like, listen, I can go and sign a 10-year, $300 million deal. <laughs> if I don't get anything yeah, yeah. guaranteed, they cut me tomorrow. I go, ha. It doesn't mean anything. Damn. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? That's how I explain it. And people are like, whoa, how's that work? You're like, yeah, I know. It doesn't make any sense. But that's why it's sense. nice. What I want to get to, though, is I definitely want to get a little insight because you said it. You said you play guard, center all that different stuff. And then when you came up here, it's pretty much, Hey, American, you go play tackle. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, that must hinder the CFL a lot in terms of recruiting for certain positions, right? Because the Canadian spots are center guard. You must, you must be one of the only ones that haven't really looked back, but you must be one of the only few that have made it from, you know what, you're a center or a guard down the States, come up here, play tackle and be able to function because I'm sure that, a lot of people down, you know, in the in the management rooms are looking at, okay, we just look at tackles for Americans and that's who we'll look at and scout. Yeah, honestly, um, it's I mean that's and again too, that kind of ties back to the race, right? When I first got up here, I'm thinking, you know, I was in the league playing guard center for the last three, four years. That's what I'm gonna be doing, right? I hadn't played tackle since my junior year of college, which I was about maybe five, six years removed from that by the time I got to the CFL. So then it was like I got up here and they're like, okay, you're playing tackle, right? Well, good thing I had a little experience doing it in my past to where it wasn't something that was completely out of my comfort zone, right? But the idea of, and, and, and this is no no downplay on Canadian, you know, Canadian guys, right? That's why a guy like Chris Manzal is playing to 38, 39, almost 40 years old, right? Because they feel like um, Canadian athletes and American athletes, there's that, that gap, right? In the sense of athleticism, that's different, right? So for them is when you bring in a, an American lineman up here, they got to be a good enough athlete to play a tackle, right? Because that's where they want to put the athletes, right? Because you, that's when you got to deal with the American defensive ends, right? You got to block the Willie Jeffersons, the Ja'Gary Davises, the Sean Lemons, the, you know, Charleston Hughes, the A.C. Lennons, right? Those type of guys, right? You got to deal with athletes every week, week after week, right? So um, they that's why they put Americans at tackle, right? So my thing is, you know, for athletes, and I always tell this to guys when they come up to the CFL, right, and they're in training camp and they're all, like, bummed out in the locker room, like, you know, I'm not playing the position I, I normally play or, you know, I've, I've been this all my life. Why am I playing this, right? And I always got to explain to guys, well, as American in the CFL, because of the ratio, 
you're not competing with just the guys at your spot. You're pretty much competing with every American on the roster to get on the, on the field, right? So it doesn't matter how good you are. If the ratio is, you know, tweaked a certain way, you just, you're not going to make it, right? That's why you see those guys who come up here and they don't latch on to a CFL team, but they can sign to an NFL team two weeks later and be there for two, three years, right? I've seen it. I've been up here six years now. I see it every year. There's guys who get yeah. cut early cuts in camp, get let go, and the next thing you know, they're signing to an NFL team two weeks later or they're in the NFL training camp and they're making an NFL team for special teams or whatever the case may be, right? So um, that's what I always like to kind of, you know, inform, you know, especially for uh, us American guys or international guys coming into the fold, right? There's so many different political things that's involved with making a team, right? That it's not always just about talent, right? And even the same thing in the NFL and other leagues, right? Everything is not always about talent. There's always a lot of political things behind the scene that kind of tie into whether you have a long career or a short career or whatever the case may be, right? Um, you know, Marshall's aware of, you know, the stigma that Canadian quarterbacks get up here. And, you know, the ratio is kind of what makes the uniqueness of making a CFL team and being able to be a star up here and latch on for a long term, for long term. So, um, again, too, that's just – I hope that's something that gets addressed in the CBA and things that where guys who are able, you know, like myself, to be able to make a name for themselves and be able to, you know, make a career out of it and have some type of impact, not just on the field but off the field as well, right? Something I'm trying to do now off the field with, um, you know, I've just been training uh, Canadian linemen, you know, now in, in my spare time, even during training camp, just trying to help give, you know, impart the knowledge, give the way, help the grassroots level grow and become better, right? Because – um, coaching and development is really why a lot of that ratio and a lot of the topics around it get so much hyperbole because it's really just come down to developing the grassroots, right? And there's always that, I always hear that on Twitter from people saying, you know, you know Canadian football just doesn't get the money put into it and the development is not there and the coaching is not there, right? So us as CFL athletes have another unique opportunity to help grow the game by being more involved in the community, right? Um, one of the things I tweeted, I think, years ago was NFL has played 60, right? Why doesn't CFL have something like that in the offseason where they can get guys into the communities to help develop grassroots and build the football so that the brand grows the way it needs to? Right, and that's the thing. Like, we, you know, that's marketing the players again. You know what I mean? That's got a special guest. That's marketing players again. No, that's... <laughs> Go Huskies. <laughs> but to... You're right, because the top coaches in Canada before professional are making probably what high school positional coaches are making in the States. And But use the players that are here. Use the players that have that coaching experience. Use them. Market them like the play 60, right? Get them out there. Let We all want to see what Derek Dennis is teaching kids in Calgary. That's what we want to see. Right? And then every kid that sees that yeah, is going to cool. say, oh, this is this is how it is. This is what it's like. I want to get involved with my team. I want to get involved with Hamilton. I want to get involved with BC. I want to, and then that's where it takes off from there. But listen, man, I I, I know you guys are you know mid training camp. Although you say you're done at three, I yeah I yeah they yeah, can't schedule on us. We're we're done they, at three every day. I'm chilling. They <laughs> also had like ten it's extra practices camp. because nobody decided to file a strike notice in the province oh, of Alberta. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. <laughs> listen. Listen, one thing, 
I wish we could have striked, right? Because I could have used the extra couple of days of rest. <laughs> yeah, man, that's what I'm saying. Right. <laughs> and I'm glad I wasn't in Edmonton because Chris Jones having an extra nine days with players probably – those dudes are probably through it right now. I've been through a Chris Jones training camp, so I know having 10 days with, with, with that is, is a whole beast in itself. <laughs> Especially when he's probably like, hey, they might uh, they might strike in a couple of days, so we really got to get – Let's get it get in. Yeah, oh, another man, 200 pop- plays. Go. <laughs> those power practices is going up i guarantee you that all i know is when i say the word double barrel you get some flashbacks <laughs> and i was just in the lunchroom talking to guys about it too right case uh, it's funny uh now that i'm like the old man in the room in a sense right i'm so I'm, I'm, I'm still adjusting to that role of being the older guy 30 plus guy i had a lot of you know games on about right when i joined the league I had the Keon Raymonds and the Jawan Simpsons and those type yep. of guys to kind of teach me the ropes, right? So now I'm in those shoes and it's kind of throwing me off because I'm still thinking in my mind, I'm a young man. So uh, <laughs> the guys always ask me questions about like, you know, what it's like on other teams or other teams I've been on or, you know, free agency and all this type of stuff, right? And I always tell guys, I'm like, listen, Chris Jones is going to be a staple in this league. If you want to play for him, I suggest – you do a whole lot of running before you get to training camp, right? <laughs> yeah. Because that's all you're going to do is run. It's, and it's Better not – doesn't matter if you're offense or defense. You're going to run, right? Um, and I told them, too, I hope they like chicken, too, because you're going to get a lot of chicken, too, when, when, when you're on a Chris Jones team. So, um, but, yeah, I always tell guys funny stories. You know, I got old teammates like Cam Judge's hair. You know, me and him always go back and forth about our experiences and sacks and stuff. So yeah. that's a good thing about being a seasoned guy. I mean, I've, I've been able to, you know, interact with a lot of different guys whether I played with them or, you know, I hope they bring CFL week back. I think that was awesome. That was a great way to connect with other guys in the league and build camaraderie, man. I've built a lot of relationships with guys that I probably never shared a locker room with, right? But the experiences of football and um, being a being a football player is, is something that bonds bonds people differently outside of you know whatever they've gone through. Right, that's one thing I love about a football locker room is it's like a I feel like it should be a microcosm of what the world should be. Right, bringing a whole different bunch of people who have come from different backgrounds, different nationalities, different color. Right, but we all working towards one goal. Right, and that's what bonds us in a different way than what other people go through. So um, I, I, I enjoyed my time here in the league. I. I I've loved being able to connect with guys and meet people and build those relationships. And I'm hoping those things last well beyond my playing days. Yeah, man. Well, hey, couldn't have been any better than that right there. So I, I appreciate you coming on. We're definitely going to have you on again when you got some time and we'll figure that out. But for sure, man. Then. I appreciate you. Appreciate y'all having me on, man. Marshall, hey, keep doing your thing, man. I, Thanks, I'm, I'm glad they added you to the TSN rock. <laughs> they needed some youth, man. Badly. So keep doing your thing, brother. I, I, I appreciate you, man. I hope I get a couple of Calgary games so I can give you some love. For sure, for sure, man. All right, fellas, y'all have a good one. I appreciate Thanks, y'all. All right, see you.